Hey everybody, my name is Kyla. Welcome to my channel where I talk about the stock market and the economy amongst other things. Today, we're going to talk about the art of the doomer. So I am currently in New York. I was on an airplane this morning and I, it's been a weird few weeks for me. I was hit by a car like last week actually on my bike. I saw a bear on a hike on Sunday, like got really close. It was like 10 feet away. Moo, my dog, saw it first and saved us. Thank you, Moo. And, uh, you know, there's been a few other things going on. It's just the human experience, which for somebody like me, which I'm sure you've all seen in the most recent videos where I like, I like to pull meaning from stuff, you know, I'll look at a stone in the sidewalk and be like, that stone is trying to tell me a story. Uh, it created a lot of emotional wreckage just going through those things kind of back to back. It really had me messed up. Like I was like, I'm not okay. <laughs> I'm usually pretty happy, but I was in this state of uncertainty and worry and nothing felt right. So it took a big element of letting go because I really, really love control uh, to begin to realign to hope in things are being okay-ism. But it highlighted for me and had me reflecting on those that seem to live life cheering for the downfall of others. So I've been really fascinated by doomerism. I always have been. How loud and confidently people will talk about what is presumably the end of their world. I'm not really sure why there tends to be this undercurrent of, I own these gold bars, so I'll be okay if the world ends, because if things do end up falling apart, it's a pile of rubble, right? Like it's not much utility to that, the thing, the world ending, but whatever. The sentiment actually inspired the Vibe Session thesis of last year, where there is this certain segment of people that seem to bemoan that things are relatively okay and insist that things are indeed actually horribly, terribly bad. And you know, I get it. The thrill of rooting for a downfall, waiting for puts to print, the expectation that this time I'll be right or whatever is inherently exciting, but it isn't useful. <laughs> I think that the thing that frustrates me most about all of this about doomerism is the lack of action behind it. I think it's okay to say that banks are failing, inflation is high, we have existed in a state of excess for so many years, because all of those things are true. But just to like complain without actually having an action plan is like one of my least favorite things. I think that you should always be action oriented, even on a micro level. And if you're on this passive course, of action that yields no process, that you're not gonna have any results, right? So if there are thoughts on how to fix the system in an equitable, thoughtful way, like not replacing everybody into a more oligarchical structure, like where it's like, I, I'll just be in charge. Like, I don't think that's a good solution. I think there needs to be actual thinking about what comes after the doomeristic ideology. It's good to think about how to improve the world, like investment in local communities, focusing on education, doing small things to help people out. The problem comes when there is a refusal to do that. And that's the core thing with doomerism is that you're just gloom, you're just constantly gloomy. And I think there are a few causes of the doomerism. So number one is entertainment. I've talked about this before on the channel, but the reality TVification and sportification of everything creates a layer of removal that's harmful for how people interact with real world structures. So there is an immense layer of a derivative of privilege to be willing and able to root for downfall and then also to take joy in doing that. Then that gets into brain stuff. So number two, because of course brains get oriented to what we give them. If negativity is exciting to somebody in your positive around them, you're threatening their sense of happiness. They're happy being negative. I'm sure we've all been around an energy suck like that. And you know, that's why they get impassionate and yell at anyone who says that things are okay, which happened to me this morning when I tweeted about doomers. They, they were all in the quote tweets and they were like, this idiot right here, haha, <laughs> let's get her guys. And it's like, is this fun? Is this fun for you? I guess so, because it's community, right? Number three, there's the adage that misery loves company and there's a crow-like tendency to the doomers and flock posting doom porn, sharing charts that show something about the money supply. Usually they've 
no concept of what they're actually talking about. Just generally giving off vibes of a group of people who get along because they all hate the same things, which is actually a great way to, to be friends with people. Maybe not in this sense, but usually works okay. And then there's alignment to a leader, number four. So Druck came out and unsurprisingly started talking about a hard landing and many people began to parrot that. Druck, of course, also said that it's a challenging time to make economic forecasts, but that's not a spend yell about. Like if we were like, hey, Druck said that it's actually pretty hard to forecast stuff right now and nobody really knows what's going down. That's a lot less fun than being like, hey, Druck says the world's gonna end, you know? And this isn't, it's a fun to feel smart, right? So this isn't nihilism. So I talk a lot about nihilism on the channel. If the Doomer truly believed that life had no meaning, they would not hold this fervor around the world collapsing. They care. The loss is in the meaning for them. Wallowing in a state of despair is fine, but if you keep on wallowing, you're eventually going to become soggy with your own inaptitude. So pull together. <laughs> Uh, and, and I know it's hard, but like doomerism has to have solutions. <laughs> Last week I wrote and talked about the importance of hope and I think that's key here. So, you know, to be clear, I'm pretty aware of the state of affairs. I do make an econ video almost every day. The world is in rough shape. A crude list of stuff doesn't even begin to cover it. You know, pharma's undercutting people, their student loans, mass shootings, wealth inequality, the aftershocks of ZERP, credit card spending is up, the debt ceiling is as dumb as possible. Commercial real estate is terrifying, but also, right, we have inflation cooling, expectations are Falling. The labor market is still okay, especially to where it could be not being okay. Manufacturing is okay. Hard data and then FIB is good. Cities are evolving to be more people oriented. There's always a balance. It would be foolish to say that things are perfect and will remain as they always are. There will be a lot of calibration over the next few years, which we all know. We're entering into the very, very unknown with AI and a myriad of other things. And I think it's increasingly easy to trend towards negativity, especially if it feels like life is punching you in the face repeatedly. And I think that when we think of a beautiful world, we often equate beauty with perfection. But beauty isn't perfect, right? And to be clear, the world is far from perfect, but there are elements of beauty threaded within our world right now that do deserve recognition, even if it's something as simple as Google trends for inflation going down. And not to get too woo-woo, but you know, we are the energy that we create. Thoughts carry power. The way that we interact the world is the world that we exist in. Ian McGilchrist, the whole illuminates the parts as much as the parts can illuminate the whole. The world we experience, which is the only one we can know, is affected by the kind of attention we pay to it. Attention is not just another cognitive function, it is the disposition adopted by one's consciousness towards the world. Absent, present, detached, engaged, alienated, empathetic, broad or narrow, sustained or piecemeal, it therefore has the power to alter whatever it needs. Or even from auto-surveillance thread, which I didn't even understand the whole thing, but it was very good on the itchiness of belief and the limits of our current cognitive models. If a semantic system is used consistently and reliably demonstrates predictive power, that in and of itself is evidence for possessing, for possessing some amount of truth, which also holds the idea that our world models often need maintenance, mine included, everybody's. It's not about rejecting things that empirically provide value in your life just because you can't integrate them into your intellectual understanding of the world. If you can't help trying to rationalize everything, declaring bankruptcy on reason might be a good strategy to access that value, which is seen really well here with this kicker of a line from Jabuki. If you know Jabuki, you'll be like, what? But very good. The brushstrokes on the, that painting are imperceptible, which is an incredibly difficult feat for that medium. The world doesn't shrink to your size just because you lack the depth to understand it. And you know, I know it's hard. For me, I struggle with all of it. I'm an overthinker. I'm overthinking stuff right now. I'm anxious. I'm lonely. Like I have all of these things too. We all do. We're all humans, most of us. And some other rocks that we all carry around in our shoe that are rubbing against our heels slowly but surely. And it's hard to maintain positive 
positivity with the toxicity of social media, a world built on takes, on monetized opinion, on who can yell the loudest, but optimism pays more in money and in life. We owe it to ourselves and to others to be mindful of reality when things are good, when things are bad, and to plan and to maintain and improve all that. It's something I have to work on too, but there are a lot of little things that we can do to make our world beautiful. So there's three poems I want to leave you with, of course. Across from me, she was crying badly, everyone around her looking into the laps, trying to pretend they did not notice. So unashamed in her grief, she wept like the inline was a room in her apartment and the afternoon would last forever. 20 years on, I could have said something, anything. The red of your scarf is beautiful. Third, second poem. To remind us that there is no endless in the current formation. One of my favorite poems, it's kind of long. Whatever I care for, someone else loves it more, deserves it more, the dough with her whole mouth crushing the flux or the seer who adores my future, whereas I could take it or leave it, I know I'll disappear. It won't be glamorous. It won't be like when the Mona Lisa was stolen and all the tourists lined up to pay their respects at the empty spot on the wall of the Louvre. I've never actually seen, I've never actually even seen the sky. I've only ever seen effluence, seen wattage. The only night I remember is the dinner of neighbors at which a man I never had met before said, I don't fear dying. Look at the past, people have been dying forever, and then he stopped and shook his head. I drank too much. I was almost saying that people have died forever and all of them survived, but of course he made a hard laugh. God, of course they didn't survive. And finally, perhaps the real reason for the doomers. Lord, I confess I want the clarity of the catastrophe, but not the catastrophe. Like everyone else, I want a storm I can dance in. I want an excuse to change my life. So don't get caught up in the doomerism. Um, it's not worth it, man. Life is short, dude. <laughs> it's better to cultivate energy towards positivity, I think. Thanks so much for hanging out. Thanks so much for spending time with me. This is podcast, Substack, Kyla.substack.com. I'm on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, anywhere and everywhere. Hope y'all are doing okay out there. I'll talk to you very soon.